Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. This morning, I have a topic, and it's a question, actually. It says, who are you? We're going to show you a couple of video clips a little bit later. By a show of hands, how many of you here this morning believe that God is perfect? How many believe that God does not make mistakes? That he created the heaven and the earth? And that when he created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he created them perfect. So this morning I want to talk about who we are and who Christ says we are in him. A man was stuck in the airport because his flight was just canceled. And like many, he was having to wait behind a long line of people just to get an alternative flight. After a while, he got really impatient and angry and stormed right to the front, to the counter. He pushed everyone out of the way and barged his way to the front and said, Ma'am, I need a ticket for home. I don't care how you get it, but I want to be served my ticket right now. The person at the counter said to him, Sir, I would love to help you, but there are many people in front of you. So would you mind getting back in line and waiting? The man says, No. Do you not know who I am? The lady said, Sir, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. What? You don't know who I am? Yes, sir. I'm afraid I don't know who you are. Don't you really know who I am? I'm sorry, sir. I don't know who you are. Well, you should know. You should know who I am. And at this point, the lady at the counter picked up a mic, spoke into the PA system and said, Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? We have a situation here. We have a man at the front counter who does not know who he is. So if any one of you knows his identity, would you please come to counter seven? This is a message about identity. And in particular, do you know who he is? And do you know who you are in him? As followers of Christ, it is extremely vital that we understand and know our identity in Christ. So I want to ask the question to everyone this morning, including myself, who are you in Christ? Matthew 16, 13 through 18, Jesus asks, some couple of tough questions to his disciples. He asks one of the questions that says, who do you say I am? So I'm going to read real quick Matthew 16, 13 through 18, if you want to take notes. I'll try to read slow. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? Now, I I mean, I've seen movies, you know, like Jesus of Nazareth, you know, you've seen these movies, and, and I remember this particular part of that movie when Jesus asked his disciples a question. And when I was going through this, I pictured in my mind that particular scene. They were standing around the fire. They were talking and kind of maybe joking a little bit or sitting by the fire and just kind of having a conversation when Jesus drops that bomb on them. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And they probably didn't think much of it. You know, they just kind of answered the question and you know, no big deal. Then the next question, the big question that Jesus drops on them, who do you say I am? 
And at that point, I can just kind of picture the disciples going, wasn't expecting that one. Kind of looking around, seeing who's going to answer that question, or maybe dropping their head and looking at the fire, you know, kind of like, please don't call on me, teacher, kind of a thing. Good old Peter, I always call him foot-in-the-mouth Peter, says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, of son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by the Father, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. We may know all about God and be keenly aware of how we are expected to walk by faith and live holy lives as Christians. But if we are shaky and tossed about by the waves with regards to our identity, it will be an uphill task. Knowing who we are in Christ gives us the boldness to face life's issues, stand our ground against the wiles of the devil, and live holy lives worthy of our calling. This happens through the renewing of our minds with scriptures regarding our identity and what God has done for us in Christ. As a teenager, I struggled with a low self-esteem. I can even, I'll admit that even now, that there were times when I craved approval, acceptance, affirmation, acknowledgement. Growing up, my dad was an abuser, an alcoholic, and because of his alcoholic addiction, he made many, many terrible decisions in regards to finances, which cost us homes, cars, motorcycles, four-wheelers, <laughs> or three-wheelers back then. There was no such thing as a four-wheeler. And at 10 years old, my mom, dad, brother, and me lived in a small motel room on Railroad Avenue. I felt embarrassed because growing up, my brother and I did not have a lot of things other kids had. We were both physically and verbally abused, as was my mom, and I felt everyone knew it. So I made poor choices early on in life to deflect what I thought people saw in me. Now, years have gone by. My dad's been dead for almost 21 years in October. I have since forgiven him, but during this time and many times throughout my life, for me personally, he always told me that I was a mistake. Some of you may know the story that my mom got pregnant with me when she was 42. That wasn't supposed to happen. It was an accident. <laughs> you know, that's what they say anyway. So my dad liked to remind me of that, that I was an accident, I was worthless, and I was no good because I was not supposed to be here. And I believed that for a long time until at age 16 when I got saved, and that changed everything. So, but up until that time, and even after, you know, especially when you get saved at that young age, you have the tendency to kind of slide back a little bit and then come back and slide back. So I've done that throughout my 50 years of life, as I'm sure maybe one more of you guys have as well. So what I was doing was I was trying to get approval from people. And the way I acted, the things I did, I did stuff that I knew was not me when I was a teenager. And people saw that and they recognized it. My teachers did, my coaches did, and said, why are you being a moron? That's not who you are. So I've learned over the years to base my identity on nothing else but my personal relationship with Christ. And like I said, sometimes I would slip and fall back. 
but I always know where I need to go back to. I had an old saying that I shared with some of my former co-workers at the sheriff's office. One guy in particular, unfortunately, who ended up having to resign from the agency. He was one of my investigators. He was a great guy, great investigator, but he unfortunately made a very dumb mistake. And because of law enforcement was in, a, in a, what's called the Brady Act and stuff like that, so he could not stay on no matter what, even though he confessed to what he did. So he had to leave. And although during the time prior to his leaving uh, and even after, I invited him many times to come to church. He knew about my relationship. He knew it wasn't always the best relationship with Christ. My bottom is by a first, the first Bible. He was 33 years old and he never had a Bible before. So I bought him a Bible and I tried to talk to him prior to and even after he left. But unfortunately, he chose to stay on a path that he was on even after he resigned. Because of his decisions, about two months ago, he was sentenced to six years in DOC. He didn't listen. Not that we all do when we're supposed to. I sure don't. I told him his identity was not in what he did, but who he was in Christ. And unfortunately, he didn't heed to that. I always said to some of the guys that I work with, had this conversation with the sheriff uh, many times about law enforcement is what we do, not who we are. Our identity can't be in what we do, but in who Christ is. So how many of you here in the room has seen the movie Overcomer? Great movie. Everybody is probably familiar with the McKendrick brothers. They make great movies. You know, Facing the Giants, Fireproof, Courageous, all those. This is another one of their movies, and it's about a little girl, a high school girl, maybe I think she's a freshman. She's a cross-country runner, and she is the only cross-country runner that this, the coach, who is the main character, she's the only runner. And I'm not going to get into, I can't get in, don't have the time to get into the whole gist of the, of the movie. You need to go watch it. But in this particular clip we're going to show this first is Coach is in the hospital as part of, he was just doing rounds in the hospital as part of what they do with the church. And he's talking to this, this guy who's terminally ill. And turns out, long story short, that this gentleman who's in, terminally ill happens to be the father of his runner. And that comes out later, and, and that's not a big surprise if you haven't seen the movie, so I'm not giving anything away. But in this clip, it really kind of hits home on your priorities of where, where is your focus in life? Is it in what you do or in who you are in Christ? I don't think I need to remind anybody in this room what's going on in, in, in America today. All you got to do is flip on any news channel, at least most news channels, and you just get constant negativity. There is a constant barrage and bombardment of hate, discontent, division. Um, all you hear about is racism, and you just continually see our country spiraling, spiraling the, the, our, morta our morality in this country is just taking a nosedive. And it angers me 
that we have a media that puts forth the narrative that America is systemically racist because I don't believe we are. I don't believe that for a minute. I believe that what we hear is from a minority of people who unfortunately get thrown out there because they're the ones that make the news because that kind of stuff sells and the media buys into that hook, line, and sinker. They don't have a problem pushing hate and discontent because it makes them more money. Now, I'm going to drop a bomb on you this morning in regards to all this because you may not know this. I am a white male. And I am not responsible for the oppression of what happened 200 plus years ago. None of us are. I don't care what your color is. I don't care what your race is. I don't care what your sex is. I'm white. That's the way I was born. I can't change that. I didn't come out as a, a white, or excuse me, and as an Asian female and say, you know what, Doc? I want to come back as a white guy. Can I start over? Didn't work that way. My wife, April, she's Hispanic. She didn't choose that. She was born that way. So we don't have that choice. Once we get here is where the choice comes in of how we live our lives. Not how we got here or when we got here or where we were born, what country we were born in. Thank God we were born in this country for sure. But we don't have any other. That's the only say we have is after we're out here and doing our thing. It just, I, I, I know it, it, you're, I know you're kind of asking, what does this have to do with a message? And it's a good question because I really don't know. And I, and I know there's been times when I've done the message and I've said this stuff before, but you just, it, you just get tired of hearing it. I get tired of seeing it. And another thing, it can stop. We can stop it. The church can stop it if we decide to. We choose to step back. We, we choose to, what's the big word I'm looking for? Conform. We're conformists. Another thing, and this speaks more to what I'm talking about this morning. In America, as far as our morali morality, we're in a steaming locomotive headed for a cliff. That's where we're at. And we can make a difference if we choose to. One of the things that to me is really a huge thing, because it affects my family personally, and I know this might cause somebody to cringe. I'm going to talk about real, just real briefly about homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. Period. Now, although it's wrong morally, it doesn't mean we hate the person. You hate the sin, not the sinner. And I can say that because I speak to that because I have someone in my family who chooses to identify as a homosexual. April and I, we pray for her all the time because when you're that age, or she's 16, she has chosen to identify that way. Not only her parents, but other parents that choose to say that's okay. They, they, maybe they don't necessarily encourage it, but they don't discourage it. And what they should be doing is talking to her praying with her and showing her who she is in Christ. But yet all the stuff that's like, oh, let them do what they want to do. Let them think that way. Let them identify that way. And although we all can agree that it's a sin, we have parents that just let it go. 
Even more so is the ever-increasing issues of um, transgender. Because once you make that change, <laughs> I mean, you've altered your entire life for the rest of your life. Now, that does not mean that God still cannot redeem or forgive. But you've physically done things that have changed your body for the rest of your life. And again, we have parents who will allow this or encourage this or not discourage it. Just, I got a couple of quick studies I, I, as I researched this. This one is from January 2017. So this was four years ago, right? Four years ago. So you know the numbers are going to be much higher. So it's a breakdown by age across the country. And as you can probably guess, um, I don't have all the sta uh, states in front of me just the f because they're all in alphabetical order. So I just got a few from Alabama to Colorado. But I want to talk about Colorado. Again, 2017. From ages 13 to 17, 1,800 identify as transgender. 18 to 24, 3,200. Ages 25 to 64, 14,900. 65 and older, 2,750. So in... Just in 2017 alone, there was 20,850 people in the state of Colorado who identified as transgender. Now, let me take it one step further from an article I found um, from the Journal of Pediatrics. Chicago, a small but growing number of teens and even younger children who think they were born the wrong sex are getting support from parents and from doctors who give them sex change treatments, according to the reports of the uh, Journal of Pediatrics. It's an issue that raises ethical questions, and some experts urge caution in treating children with puberty-blocking drugs and hormones. They're pumping kids with drugs. An eight-year-old second grader in L.A. is a typical patient. Born a girl, the child announced at 18 months, according to this article, I a boy. That's a quote. I a boy. And has stuck with that belief. The family was shocked but now refers to the child as a boy and is watching for the first signs of puberty to begin treatment, his mother told the Associated Press. So again, you might be asking the question, why am I bringing this up? And, I, and it's twofold. One, because obviously this is a problem that we see with our morality in, our, in the United States. But secondly, it also speaks to not only do the kids not know who they are, but the parents don't know who they are in Christ, which perpetuates this type of things to happen. So I just wanted to throw that out to you. If parents, and included, I mean me included, April included, you know, Ephesians 1, 3 through 11 helps parents out, helps anybody out regardless in, this, in, in knowing who they are in, in Christ. It says, Praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption. And I want you to click on some of these words. Predestined is one. For adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will the praise of his glorious grace which he freely give which he has freely given us 
in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, through forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. And that tells me that it doesn't matter where we are or what we've done, God will still redeem us and forgive us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So as I start to wind this down this morning, I want to show you one more short clip from this movie. Um, this little girl was always in trouble and was a bit of a thief. <laughs> she, had a, she had a problem with uh, theft. Her mother died. Uh, her father abandoned her, who was the guy in the hospital. And she had to go live with her grandmother. She felt abandoned, unwanted, and unloved. And there was one point in during the movie when the coach asks her, who is Hannah Scott? And early on in the movie, he asks her the question, who are you? And she couldn't answer that question. Well, throughout the movie, as you will see, um, because you're going to see this clip, you'll see where she ended up. She was at a Christian school. She met with her principal, and she, the principal gave her not only Ephesians 1, but also other scriptures that she can find out who her identity is in Christ. With that, we're going to watch this little short clip. As we totally wrap this thing up, what I want to do is start with the same question I asked at the beginning. The question that was asked of Hannah Scott by the coach. Who are you? Who am I? That's the big question. He chose us to be holy and blameless before the foundations of the world. Our holiness is because we are in Christ. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We are not holy because we are good. We are made holy at the new birth when we accept Christ and become believers. For it is by grace we have been saved. Because God sees us in Christ, we are made positionally holy by his grace and made the, and made the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 You need to know who you are in Christ so that you can live your life as God intended and fulfill your destiny. The more you agree with God about your identity in Christ, the more, behavior, the more your behavior will begin to reflect your God-given identity. So I encourage all of us to learn to see us as God sees us. Sometimes we lose sight of that, and I know I did a lot. God's opinion is the only one that matters. Accept what God says about you. Agree with him that it is true of you and become the spiritual person that you need to be. Understanding who you are in Christ will give you a strong foundation to build your life on. Knowing who you are in Jesus is the key to a successful Christian life and a life lived on purpose. Your identity does not depend on something you do or do not have or have done. Your true identity is who God says you are. Once you choose to follow Jesus, you become a new creation. 
The old you passes away and you become who you are in him. So stop living out living out of who other, what other people say or who other people say you are. Don't do what I did when I was growing up because that's not who I was. And take hold of the truth of God's word. Find out what God says about you and agree with him. And how do you find that out? Through reading the scriptures. We need to know who we are in Christ so that we know what to do, when to do it, where to go, and how to do it. So once again, who are you in Christ? Because you are in Christ, every one of these statements is true of you. Now I've got just a short bullet list that I'm going to go through rather quickly. I'll give you the scripture first and then read the verse. And if you miss any, I got them. 1 John 3.3 3. I am loved. Ephesians 1.6 I am accepted. John 1.12 I am a child of God. John 15.14 I am Jesus' friend. Romans 8.17 I am joint heir with Jesus, sharing his inheritance with him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 I am united with God and one in spirit with him. 1 Corinthians 6.19 I am a temple of God, his spirit and his life lives in me. 1 Corinthians 12.27 I am a member of Christ's body. Ephesians 1.1 I am a saint. Colossians 1.14 I am redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 2.10 I am complete in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 I am free from condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 I am a new creation because I am in Christ. Colossians 3.12 I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. 2 Corinthians 1.21 I am established, anointed, and sealed by God. 2 Timothy 1.7 I do not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. 2 Corinthians 6.1 I am God's co-worker. Ephesians 2.6 I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. Ephesians 2.18 I have direct access to God. John 15.16 I am chosen to bear fruit. 1 Peter 2.5 I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. 2 Peter 1.4 I have been given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I share his nature. Hebrews 13, 5, I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. Philippians 2, 13, God works in me to help me do the things he wants me to do. And finally, James 1, 5, I can ask God for wisdom and he will give me what I need. So let's simply choose to believe what God says about us. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. 
If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up.